pull out my computer and you know get everything ready to give him the demonstration. And um, he comes in, he starts talking to me and asking me about this um, program that I have. And he starts taking off all his clothes. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today, we are joined by healthcare executive and entrepreneur Howard Pierce, who pioneered the use of clinical decision support technology to help better inform and improve patients' lives. Welcome. This is Sam Roach-Gerber and Dave Bradbury, recording from the Fairpoint Tech Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Hey, Howard. Nice to see you guys. How are you today? Good morning. I'm doing great. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you for asking me. So, Howard, when did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? And was it a conscious choice or did you stumble into it? Um, I guess I'd have to say I stumbled into it. I started off uh, in the late 60s having to leave the country because of Vietnam. And when I came <laughs> back, I needed money. And that's how I became an entrepreneur. Awesome. Uh, and I started off just uh, in the construction trade and, and ended up building a construction and architectural business. And then all of a sudden ran into the opportunity that turned into PKC. And after 20 years in, in design and building, I decided to build software instead because yeah. I ran into somebody with an idea. That's that's crazy. Can you talk a little bit more about like, I mean, that's wild going from architecture, construction to healthcare. It like... To me, it seems like it couldn't be more different. Well, everybody says that, but, you know, yeah. it really isn't. Uh, building things is building things to a degree. Uh, and if you have, it's one thing if the idea is yours and you have to spend years learning how to code in order to have the idea or formulate it. But uh, if you're kind of adept at trying to pick up other people's ideas and figure out how to turn them into something, then you can use a lot of the same techniques and expertise you might have gained in, for instance, running a general contracting business uh, into building software. It turned out to be um, not all that different from the managerial point of view. I never learned how to code. I, I, I hired coders, and I certainly didn't become a doctor. I hired doctors, uh, and I didn't even have the idea. I stole it. Um, or I borrowed it, brought the guy that had it along. Uh, so it really, building things is building things, and a lot of, is the same from one discipline to another. Totally. So uh, you joined uh, or founded or, or joined PKC, which is uh, Problem Knowledge Coupler. Did I get that right? That That's is correct. such a trivial pursuit yeah. question yeah. here in Vermont. I love that. The, the worst corporate name ever from the point of view of getting people to understand what you are by just looking at your name, which is, I think, what you're told when you go to marketing school. It looks like a, a, an engineer team brainstormed a name, and this is what they came up with. I inherited the name. Yes. Uh, it was it, there when I came. And, and problem hyphen knowledge, too. Yeah. So yeah. even more difficult. Yeah. It, it works for Kentucky Fried Chicken, though. Yeah. You know? True. KFC, yeah. so... Yeah. Well, the, the, the key there is that you're right. It was engineers uh, or people with engineering brains. One was a doctor who came up with a name. And they insisted on literalness and precision. And what that software did was it took a problem and it coupled it to knowledge. So hence the name Problem Knowledge Coupler. It's as literal as it gets. So yeah. why, don't, why don't you educate us uh, a little bit about what PKC did that was innovative and Maybe just talk a little about the growth story. So the company's based on the ideas of a famous doctor named Larry Weed, who to this day lives in Vermont. Uh, 
And he was uh, a, a legend in his own time as far as the development of medical records, early, early development of precision medical records. Um, and he came up with a, uh, a thought that all he was doing was making the chaos of medicine move faster by, by creating the first electronic medical records. So he wanted to try and get control of the chaos, and the way he thought he could do that was to force some discipline on, A, how you define a person's problem based on really the best clinical questions you could around that problem. And don't limit yourself by trying to get to the answer or the diagnosis or the management strategy really quickly. Rather, first get all the cards on the table, ask all the questions, and then couple all that information you have about this person's particular headache to all the best literature out there and come up with a differential that can help the doctor and the patient move forward without making any huge um, mistakes or forgetting those things that are out on the periphery that are often fall through the cracks and lead to misdiagnosis. And did this have its genesis in a lot of research, for example, yeah. where there are a lot of national institutes of health studies that, that it had this? its genesis much more from the advent of the personal computer. So this is back 1990. Uh, and it was just beginning to be Im imagined that everybody would have the power of a computer at their fingertips. At the time, we were uh, using floppy drives and stuff like that. But so the, the research has always been out there. They've been writing papers and doing research on medicine problems forever, but it was never codified in a way that could be accessed as a really highly indexed database and instantly providing a profile against an individual who had a set of data points known about them. So not to mention, you know, just looking at the patient as a holistic person, not just what their one issue might, you know, their symptom might be, but... You know, right. but, but, but limiting yourself to the problem at hand. In other words, one of the problems with medicine is that people get in and start talking to a doctor about five different problems. So this was saying, okay, let's first deal with your headache. Now, we're going to find out everything about your lifestyle as well as the uh, symptoms you have in order to figure out what might be causing that headache. But we're, we're going to keep you focused on that. And we're going to get this information done before you tie up a doctor's expensive time. Hence the concept of a software that would ask the questions through the computer without the doctor having to be in the room. The doctor comes in inheriting all that information, can re-ask the questions if he wants to see the patient's face, state, et cetera, but doesn't forget or doesn't run out of time to get that information into the record. So at the time this was coming out, how much education in the marketplace did you have to do? Were you selling directly to doctors or was this to a hospital system? And, and well, how did that come about? Yeah, um, I was told by everybody I talked to when Larry asked me to start this company, right? And sort of, you know, he had this little thing called Problem Knowledge Cultures. He asked me through unusual circumstances to start this company. And so I went around. I knew nothing about medicine. My wife was a nurse practitioner and she was the one who introduced me to Larry and the idea. She thought, you ought to go see this, because I was doing something somewhat tangentially related in the, in the building world. By the way, I interviewed clients before building a big fancy house for them. And uh, everybody that I talked to when I went to go out and see what the medical world thought about this said it was insane and would never work. Every single person. Wow. Um, because, they said, a doctor would never accept information gathered by a machine and would never accept the notion that someone else had decided what were the right questions to ask based on the literature, as opposed to being asked based on their intuition and experience. And it turned out they were right. So what changed there? Nothing. 
I turned out I couldn't sell the software that way. Wow. It was it was a complete failure from the point of view of marketing and actually building a company. I we had after X number of years it took us probably five to seven years just to get the information into the system. Um, we had to build a huge set of uh, software tools to to codify information, actual facts that were in medical articles, and put them into a database that could do all of this. And um, that was really the, 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 the secret sauce, the technical key that we had that nobody else had. Um, but once we did that we and, and, and produced a software that could be actually sold or licensed, we had a few true believers who would not conduct their practice without this software. But by and large, it was a complete failure. So I read something about the Department of Defense. Can you talk a little bit about how that came in? Yeah. Um, and that's an important point, I think, for people here in Vermont developing companies. One of the things that I stumbled on uh, by asking around was that there was a, a lot of research money down at DOD around healthcare. And I thought to myself, well, I don't know anything about the military. Who can I go ask? And I, having never done this before, I decided to go down and talk to people at Senator Leahy's office. Uh, so I got myself on an airplane and flew down uh, and went to Senator Leahy's office and met with the guy who was the liaison from Leahy to, because he was on the, uh, the relevant subcommittee, uh, to DOD, and found that they were incredibly helpful. And the value that I got over the couple of years from working with those folks and Senator Leahy, as well as Peter Welch, I'll say, um, is, was, was phenomenal. I mean, I could not have built the company without advice from those guys uh, and, and, and telling me how that world works. It's very different. It's a non-intuitive world. Yeah, and I will say, too, I mean, time and time again over the years, we've seen how uh, Congressman Welch and, and certainly Senator Patrick Leahy have helped build and help fund companies through yep. these early years uh, through federal contracting and, and really help on the sort of cut in line, at least get FaceTime yep. with, with your end customer. Yep. And I like to say uh, he is economic development here in Vermont. Right. And people don't appreciate the expertise that goes with that. That doesn't come from just being a senior senator. You have to develop a staff that keeps those relationships up, uh, manages to get people like me in front of the right people without irritating them too much so that you can come back again. It's tough for a Vermonter to do. Right? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> We're known for being rather blunt. Um, so... I was going to ask you how you funded the company in the, the early okay. years. Well, um, by going down and talking to the folks at DOD, uh, we discovered they had a really clear problem that we thought we could help from, which was um, the way uh, you guys would think about it was Persian Gulf Syndrome. Okay, So this is right after the first Persian Gulf War. All these people are coming down with these weird symptoms. They don't know what to do. And Congress is beating the hell out of these guys, the, the DOD healthcare system. Well, and I said to, I got in front of the relevant people, uh, Surgeon General, and said, look, you know, I think our software has got all the information necessary to take that cluster of symptoms that you guys are finding, expand that across the um, set of possible medical explanations, not insults from Persian Gulf, but so sort out the sheep from the ghosts and create a very powerful database for you guys to harvest and report back to Congress, make it look like you're doing something. Uh, and uh, 
to make a long story short, because it did take some time, we got a huge contract to build that piece of software, which was built directly on our engine. It was it was just another module in what we were already doing. So it was a perfect match. Perfect, yeah, non-dilutive yeah. sort of capital. Yeah, What's was, a huge contract? Like 10 million, 20 million? Uh, 10 million. 10 yeah. million. Yeah. No, in that, awesome. in that range. I, mean, we, we, I think it was yearly, so I don't think we ever got above 70 a year, maybe something like that. But um, then we added on a few other contracts with the military, and then we had this wild piece of... Um, uh, happenstance to position us like up in the top for a while of healthcare companies down there, uh, which was uh, 9-11. When that uh, jet hit the Pentagon on 9-11, uh, the, the, there was a lot of odd injuries from that impact that were um, the result of most, to make, again, to kind of make a long story short, uh, machinery and things like printers and computers, et cetera, being thrown by the blast and hitting people. So they wanted to figure out how to rebuild offices down there in order to minimize that kind of problem. So we built another piece of software, again, on our software that interviewed everybody. And it was, this was, I think, the first time this was ever done over the, over the internet, too. We did it online. Sam, this is like a scoop. I know. This show could take a whole new sort of <laughs> wow here. Well, it, I mean, this was a, this was mundane stuff, mind you. In, in yeah, today's but it matters, age, right? It was. Yeah, it was, in, in today's age, this would have been mundane. You've got about five companies out there in the back office here who could have put together an, uh, a survey monkey type thing run online. But back then, it had never been done before. Well, you must have known. I mean, I can't imagine with those two things, you know, you must know that you're doing something right. You know, it's. It's not just chance. It's well, I, I like to think that, but this was a lot of dumb luck, too, to be perfectly honest. Um, we just happened to have built the first web version of our engine, and we were testing it. We'd never actually <laughs> rolled it out anywhere, so this could have completely been a, a train wreck. Were you on Netscape or Explorer, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it was it was back when all browsers were different. You had to build. You know, I mean, it was it was it was horrible. But it worked, and uh, people used it, and uh, we provided this to the military, and we wouldn't take any money for it. We said, this is our patriotic contribution here. Um, we didn't. We set it up so we didn't even get the data. The data flowed directly into one of their databases. Um, awesome. And we just closed the thing down after that. And that got us so much good karma with the military that it really held us and kept us going through many difficult years of trying to get doctors to use this software in the military, et cetera. And, and were, they, were they the sort of early adopter reference case that, that helped drive the sort of commercial yes, adoption absolutely, of this? Yes, okay. absolutely. They were, they were the perfect reference case in a lot of ways um, from a technical and logistics point of view. They obviously did not represent a good reference case for the way healthcare works from a psychological point of view out in the rest of the world. Uh, because in, in the, the military had one great thing that was very useful to us is what they could order their doctors to do things. <laughs> and unfortunately, out in the real world, you cannot order doctors, like ordering snails to do something. The escargot approach won't right. work. Um, escargot approach so won't work. So maybe just how, how big in terms of headcount or sales, if you recall, how big did PKC become? And, and it was based over in Winooski for, yeah. for, for quite a while, yeah. too. And, so we started out with three. Um, and in about, I would say five years, we'd grown to about 75 was as big as we got. And we did it we, we, the whole time we were in the, uh, Chase Mill over in Winooski, which is, um, to this day where our offices are. And I consider the best office building in the entire world. 
Uh, it's beautiful. And, and, Chase Mill? Isn't Chase that Burlington? Mill. Is that in the it's Burlington, in Burlington side? It's the Burlington side. Yeah. Okay. And I will tell you that uh, it had a lot. It was very useful in recruiting. Um, I'd bring people up who could go, you know, because we had some, at, at, during the, um, the, the real heyday of building everything, we had some pretty um, amazing engineers because this was complicated stuff back in the day. And those guys could go anywhere. Those guys and girls could go anywhere. And... How, why would they come to Vermont? I mean, because the obvious negative is if it doesn't work out, where do you go next? You haven't got that many companies that are relevant. Again, back then, it's, this has changed some. We didn't lot. have JetBlue either. Yeah, we didn't have JetBlue either. So you had to sell them on lifestyle, et cetera. Um, and I, the, the two things that have come to mind as to what, what did I really leverage? One was that building with this beautiful view of the river, and everybody had an office. Every office was exactly the same, mine and everybody else's. It was uh, built, it was post and beam building, so I built it off the, the, the geometrics of the post and beam. And they were t- small offices, but everybody had a door, so you could close your door. It's the opposite of the way it is today. And the other th- and so that was a big deal, you know, you know, along with skiing and all that kind of stuff. But the other thing that really happened at that moment in time was the, um, uh, the stance that Vermont took on, uh, you know, gay marriage and, and civil unions. And that, I, I think I probably harvested two or three really good employees simply because the good karma that that implied compared to the rest of the nation at the time. So, it's huge. you know, it was, it was big. And then, um, so PKC, if I recall, you had an amazing uh, board of directors. And can you talk about just sort of the importance of that? I mean, if I think, yeah. I think David Coates, yeah. uh, who's been a mentor of yeah. mine, and yeah. maybe Nord Brew, too. I don't, and, I don't and know. Rich Tarrant. And I mean, Rich Tarrant. Yeah. Um, that is definitely, that was the 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 smartest thing I ever did as a CEO was to really work to get a really good group. And you get one and they bring others. The first one I got was Nord Brew. Uh, he just happened to be a lawyer involved in the in an original deal I did to market, to sell some of the software that had been, that had been built by PKC before I came along to IDX, to Rich Tarrant. So by dint of doing that, I met Nord, asked him to be on the board. Uh, and he and I were the original investors at PKC. Um, and then he helped me get David Coates on the board. And then by um, dint of <laughs> all sorts of amusing interactions with Rich Tarrant, I got him to be on the board. And you put those three together, and there's a lot more like them now in Vermont. Um, that's a lot, a world of experience. And uh, experience that also has the right attitude to put up with a, a crazy startup company that, I mean, we were, uh, no one thought our stuff would work. We were confident as hell that it were, that it would. And, um, as ornery as they come. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that Sam and I do a lot here with some of the startups we work with, we work with over between 250 and 300 startups and entrepreneurs a year yeah. around Vermont. Ah, and, you know, amazing. from the starry eyed and, you know, dreamer from a campus dorm to inventors or to these serial entrepreneurs. And we're always advising that, you know, uh, build a board or an advisory board just so you have some, some perspective that isn't in the weeds every day. And that can maybe uh, show you some of the pitfalls or help, help you along. Yeah. yeah, a little street cred helps too. Um, any uh, any women on the board at any point? You know, there there weren't. Um, you know, I don't know how that happened exactly. Uh, it's an interesting point. Um, 
but there, there weren't any. I, I, my board was very static. Um, I had the same, I only added one person to that board the entire time, and that was a, a doctor named uh, Dick Yules. And that was at the uh, insistence of my original investors. Okay, so I had to go out and get venture capital. And uh, I, I went to a big boutique firm down in New York City and, and got it from them. And one of the things they wanted was their man, if you will. Yep. And uh, so that was the only person I added to the board. How did that dynamic change when you took, took on uh, a financial investor? Well, um, you know, it depends on my mood as to how I answer that question. <laughs> um, it was a good discipline, I have to say. I mean, I, it was a good discipline to have people that were um, there uh, with the express intent to make some money uh, and to give advice. Unfortunately, the, 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 the niche that my company was in was one they really didn't understand. It was not normal health. They, they were into biotech because that's what was going on at the time. Uh, this was very different. So I, I was cross swords with them a fair amount. And um, the only piece of advice I would give your entrepreneurs here is uh, never lose uh, that 51% control. Uh, and I never did. And at the end of the day, I was able to buy them out um, through a loan from uh, uh, the Key Bank, actually. Key Bank, yeah, right. I was doing really well in the military. I was able to buy them out. They made uh, you know, 10 or 15% profit as opposed to the 200 or 300 they would like to have made, but they made money. Uh, so we went away friends. Uh, and that freed me up to really, you know, take the company to the next level after that. Yeah. So ShareCare uh, came along, and and what was sort of the the reasoning or the timing to 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 sell to to this yeah. company? And well, after getting over the first, I don't know, five or ten, maybe ten years of thinking that. Healthcare was going to change and that they would come and see things our way and use our software the way we intended. Um, I finally gave up on that and realized that what we were building really was a very valuable engine and uh, knowledge generation technology. And that that was what to concentrate on. Just make enough money to stay alive, build this thing so no one could ever catch you. And so it would be too expensive for some company that wanted it to build themselves and then sell basically sell your expertise and your, and your, and your knowledge base. Um, and it was just at the time that people were starting to realize how much money there was in healthcare technology out at the consumer level. And so you're starting to see these companies crop up that were trying to get control of the eyeballs of the consumer in healthcare and then make money in transferring them somewhere, either to an ad or into a healthcare system. Uh, and so I set my sights on that being the interface that where I thought we could bring something of great value because we had this engine that interviewed people for their problem, turned it into medical knowledge, gave it to them and gave it to the doctor. And we had interfaces that would translate the information into medical records. Um, there's a long story there that we don't want to get into as to why that's problematic to this day. But we had what we thought was very valuable. So I went looking for um, people that were doing this that seemed interesting. And the first person I stumbled across was Steve Case. He was building um, Revolution Health at the time. And we actually got a deal completely worked out, you know, with a big investment bank and the whole shooting match with them. And the deal blew up at the at literally the 12th hour. And I mean, the, as we were getting ready to put pen to paper, um, because of 
various factors within PKC. It wasn't Revolution's fault. It was PKC's fault. The founders were more set in and one of the key person. Well, sellers just, remorse kind of yeah, uh, yeah, moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that blew up and we turned that into a licensing deal instead for a while. So then um, five years later, I had, I mean, it was time to do it again. It, was, yeah. it really was getting to a critical point. So this time. is 2012, I think, if I, yeah. if I recall. So, I, so I, 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 I met a guy along the way who came to see us who was a, um, I guess you would call a, a, a broker, a guy who'd been in a lot, he'd, he'd done a lot of healthcare deals, really interesting guy. And I said, okay, let's see, you know, in, introduce me along. You can be my investment banker this time. So the first time I used, um, uh, you know, a big deal bank, and this time I went to the opposite of the spectrum, a little guy that had some experience in a small company. And he introduced me to a bunch of people, a key of which was um, Jeff Arnold and uh, Mehmet Oz, who were starting, uh, Dr. Oz, who Dr. were starting. Oz. Dr. Oz. Oz. They were starting a company called ShareCare. Uh, and I, they needed, I mean, they had a company that was all people from the consumer app world. And they had nobody or so anything. So they, they had audience and reach and branding exactly. and, and they marketing had no push, content. But, but no substantive. No content and no real, uh, they had nothing like what we had. What a match. It was a perfect match, yeah. Have and, you been on a show? Uh, no, but I'll tell you a funny <laughs> Why story. Why is that, Howard? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> the, key, the key to the sale after, you know, spending time with Jeff and, and, and a bunch of his team, et cetera, was to sell Oz on the, on the concept. So I, I went down to New York to meet with Oz at his studio. I never met him before. And he was taping a whole bunch of um, a, um, ads for local channels. And it was amazing. I was sitting there watching him, you know, and he'd, he'd do one every 10 seconds, you know, saying the same thing, but channel 22, channel 59. And, and it just went on and just did these things. And, whoa, man, that was amazing. So he said, well, okay, meet me in my office. You know, I'll be in in a minute. And he had an office just off to the side. So I get in, I sit down, I pull out my computer and, you know, get everything ready to give him the demonstration. And um, he comes in, he starts talking to me and asking me about this um, program that I have. And he starts taking off all his clothes. And, 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 and I mean, all his clothes down to his boxer shorts. That's a negotiating and, and, tactic. And, somebody, and, a, and a helper comes in and just literally puts a shirt on him as he sticks his arms out and redresses him because he's going to some big dinner party. You know, oh, right after this. And God. it was like, I, I came back and told all the women in my office about this. And they just about, I mean, everybody wanted to know. It was, <laughs> I said, hey, he's still pretty good looking. Um, so anyways. He's a healthy um, guy, yeah. you know. But so, um, you know, we did the demonstration there. And he, he was real interested. And he said, you know, um, would this, you know, how would this work for a doc? You know, and I said, well, okay, you know, here's one. I had a test case with me that one of the, the interview had been worked up on the patient side. And it was kind of a complicated diagnosis, but there was one or two very key findings from the patient that would clue in a doctor that really knew their stuff. My software presented it, but I didn't show that side to him. And I said, okay, you guess, because doctors love the game. You know, that's what, they, that's what they love, and that's what makes them sharp and brilliant, regardless of what they have softwares like mine or not. Darn if he didn't guess it, right? And that made the, that, that, that was the sale right there. And at, at that point, did he have pants on? Yes, he was fully clothed. Okay, good. Just checking. Good guy. Good guy. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to check our, our rating. Uh, if this is, you know, TV 14, mature <laughs> audience or, or not. He, he had his boxer shorts on. There was never <laughs> okay. any, uh, any problem. That, that's, that's perfect. Um, and then you stayed on with ShareCare, uh, running the PKC division or unit for, for just about four years, right? 
Yep. Yeah. And four or five years. Yeah. How how is that working for somebody else? Because often folks that have been self-employed or founders for so long, you know, they virtually become unemployable. Yeah. So what what did you learn during this this last number of years? Um, <laughs> well, uh, it, I, I learned that um, I had gotten a lot older over all of this, and that all the people that I now work for were a lot younger than me. Uh, and I learned that because I had run two businesses over the course of forty years of which I'd been the CEO the entire time. I had a partner in the first one, and then, you know, I, but I was used to being the boss. Um, it, it didn't work so well, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I'm sure I was extraordinarily annoying at times. And, uh, I, and the other thing was that I had, I had to come to grips with the fact that I had sold, um, a product in, that had been designed for one kind of world, the science world. In other words, people that, that, that were like trying to, engineer something more perfectly to make a system work better. And I'd sold it to people that were um, grounded in the consumer world that were, were trying more than anything else just to engage consumers with their own health care. And in the end, it's fine. It worked out fine. But um, I lost the argument as to where the money was. Um, and to this day, we still disagree on uh, on the best way to make money off of our software. That being said, uh, by transferring the PKC coupler system into what is now called AskMD, which is the way it's marketed uh, in ShareCare, and having them market and promote it, we've had way over a million downloads. So, you know, people are using it, um, albeit it's not connected the way I wanted it to directly into uh, some of the big healthcare systems. I think it'll, it'll happen, but it's not there yet. So now it's more of a consumer facing product than it ever was when it was PKC. Yeah. And that's the result of both the change in technology, change in consumer behavior and luck in that we built the product so that it could be used simultaneously by both sides of that equation. Right now the focus is on the consumer side, using it as a consumer product right. on getting their own information but it's still teed up to be used as a way, an intake tool for getting people more efficiently in to see the doctor. Okay. Be and that doctor a virtual doctor online, a doctor in a normal process, a nurse practitioner, or an ask call center with nurses, regardless of what the, the next step might be. Okay. And I mean, I just have to ask, because I have fallen into the pit of WebMD many times, um, feeling like quite the hypochondriac. Um how is it different than that? Um, yeah, so it, it's it's fundamentally very different. Um, when you go into WebMD, you start with the principle of search. Basically, you go in and find your way into um, a whole pile of information, very good information, a lot of it. Um, but if you ask the wrong question because you misperceive your own problem a little bit, you can get wildly off the mark. Um, yeah, that's like, the way algorithms work. If you, if you, if you miss the wrong branch in the first, one of the early branches of an algorithm, you can end up way the hell in the middle of nowhere. So. Oh yeah. I end up like having mm -hmm. a sore throat and then like yeah. five minutes later, I'm You're convinced cancer. I have cancer. Yeah. yeah. So the, the whole purpose of PKC was to prevent that. So before we take you anywhere, we make you answer a whole lot of questions. Those questions have some branching logic in it, but not very much. Uh, we use what's called combinatorial logic, which is basically get all the data first and then combine it combinatorial 
know, with the full possibility set and match it up in a very simplistic way, the ratio between answers, yes answers to questions asked about that would have voted for this, pro this diagnosis as opposed to that diagnosis. So we don't allow you to sort of wander in and, and graze around, if you will. Phew, because it's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is, it's very dangerous, um, and it's also a waste of time. Totally. You know, so, so that, Sam, I mean, maybe maybe this winter and spring you might try Ask MD and and just see see. If, we like if, to think we've empowered you, a lot of hypochondriacs. Yeah. yeah, see what you know sick days are like versus non sick days, <laughs> and I, I I will be a test case here. Yeah, for sure, to be continued there. Yeah. So um, I wanted to sort of segue in a little bit of sort of Vermont and Vermont climate. For, for businesses and entrepreneurs, if, if that's okay. Yes, please do. And um, I just want to start, too. You've been a longtime member and contributor to the Vermont Business Roundtable, which is a collection of yeah. CEOs. Uh, I think we're pro probably, I'm, I'm a member, too, uh, maybe 115 uh, organizations represented. And why? Yeah, you know, I'll preface it by saying that I am naturally not a joiner of such things. It's not my nature, uh, really. Uh, but early on, I was advised by some of my board that there was value there and that I should go check it out. And I went in and went to a, a first couple of their first meeting and just ended up talking to a bunch of people who I found really interesting and did not seem... Um, they seem to have the right attitude. This wasn't some sort of club. This was uh, more a, um, a useful focus point uh, for people that were interested in the business environment writ large about uh, Vermont, as well as some of, you know, finding about interesting nuggets of things that were going on down at the micro level. Um, I think that's where I probably met you, David. I mean, you know, yeah, maybe may I, I think that it was. And so I, I just met a lot of interesting people there and, uh, found that it was interesting to try to have a, a little bit of voice about how things developed and how problems were solved in Vermont from that perspective. It just seemed to fit uh, the nature of what I was, which was a small entrepreneur. You know, we often uh, hear and, and try to help with sort of the, the isolation and the, really the loneliness that, that being an entrepreneur is. Yeah. Uh, and it's also... You know, when you're running an organization, you're a CEO in maybe a smaller town or even even in our larger communities, uh, you don't often have a peer-to-peer -peer sort of exchange. Exactly. And, and <clears throat> I think that's where I see benefits like that coming because those little nuggets on how you recruit. You know, you you've, you, you know, you shared your two things. I've heard yeah. others say we got to ask what their winter passion is, right? And, yeah. if, and if they don't say snowmobiling, ice fishing, or skiing – uh, there's a red flag because it probably won't work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and also, it, it, so it, as far as just the round table, the other thing there is it, it, it wakes you up to how broad a spectrum there are of CEOs. You know, that's the thing. You see all these different kinds of people, very different scope from one company to another. I mean, there's some very large companies there and you see them run by, you know, people like Mary Powell, uh, and at the other side, you'll see people that are even smaller than you are, you know. Right, you see Ted As, Adler, yeah, right, with yeah, Union Street Media. Exactly. So you think, well, okay, so there's, there's room for all of us here, and everybody can talk to one another. So it was, I enjoyed it. I highly recommend it to anybody in your in your group here. Howard, is Vermont an easy place for a tech company today? Do you think 
it's we're in a good place? Do you think we're kind of trending up, or do you think things are kind of falling to the wayside? You know, I'm I'm probably not the greatest person to ask because I really st- have been out of it for a while. And the, but the one thing I'll say is that I don't like the way a lot of the tech world is going in general. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, I feel that a level of precision and expertise in how you build quality technology is being um, polluted a little bit by trivial stuff around the web. Uh, and I don't, you know, I, I, what I mean by that is that people are too quickly getting in, just building something that they hope it can be a, an app that will get, you know, used a little bit. And that's fine and everything. But the problem is that you think you've done something there and done it right. And oftentimes, you know, it's buggy software. It doesn't have to be any. No one's going to die. You know, it's just, you know, it's a little game. It's a little uh, tri- trinket. Uh, and what Vermont used to have was a engineering culture that came out of the sort of manufacturing and machining world here and then was picked up by IBM and a couple of other of the big corporations that built the old style software. And I hate to sound like an old, you know, dinosaur, but I'd like to see some of that come back. And I would like to see Vermont regain a little of that reputation in the world of software, because I think competing at the the sort of quick, you know, take it down real fast level, it's, it's going to be hard because we're small. We don't have very many people. Um, it's not that it's impossible, and certainly we have lifestyle and a lot that goes with that. But my own personal, um, I guess, passion is to get a few more companies that have a long staying power and, and build industrial scale and industrial quality software that, um, that will, you know, last a long time. And that's what we tried to do at PKC. And it's one of the reasons that we, you know, we're not marketable in, in, in any way that you would recognize. We had to sell ourselves afterwards to somebody else who knew how to market. But I think the reason we were able to sell is that we had a bulletproof product that never breaks and is um, easy to maintain. And uh, I like to think well-architected as far as being able to, to, we've lived through a lot of the iterations of technology and our same engine has kept running on all of them. We started out on floppy disks that had to be put on in computers and then we made it into the web and then we became a web service. All of it driven by the same original C++ code. Right. So you so, kept that laser focus no matter what was changing. Yeah, laser focus and, and, and trust in that if you're building something that's really valuable, eventually there's going to be a way to get money out of it. I guess. Yeah, yeah I, I'm interesting because, you know, sort of the, the conventional approach now is uh, you want to get some very early customer yep. feedback, right? So you'll prototype it, you'll push out, uh, you know, some uh, some even say you got to put out a first product you're embarrassed about. Yep. And yes, that tends to trend towards some of the consumer apps and the, the more fluffy things we in, we enjoy, um, but it's everywhere, too. Yeah, it is everywhere. And, and I guess that's sort of the tug, right? Because I, I think more, particularly if you need outside capital for this, right? The more validation you have through how many customers have you gotten feedback yeah. from, right? Versus we're going to build this thing. It's going to be a tank. It will outlast. And then we're going to have a binary outcome when we show it. Yeah. Yes or no. And yeah. it's, it's very contrary. And I understand that that's not the way things are done. Uh, and I'm, you know, I, when you're building a real consumer thing, it's fine to ask the customer with some test software, what do they think? 
but you're building something for um, you know patient interaction with the healthcare system. The last person you want to ask is the patient. Everybody already agrees the healthcare system is broken, right? So asking the patient and the doctor who are the people that are participating in the broken system and that's all they know is probably not going to get you very far. You have to come up with a better idea. And that's what I inherited. I I met this Dr. Larry Weed through my wife, uh, Wendy, who had the better idea. And everybody I talked to said, can't be done. That'll never work. Even though everybody agrees it's the better idea, you can't change healthcare. It took me 25 years. Okay. That's how long it took to actually get it to the point now. But, that same engine, the same thing we built based on exactly the same principles that Larry came up with, has now been downloaded by a million people and is starting to be used in an industrial scale and is certainly used by the military in an industrial scale. Uh, you win. We should have a, a medal ceremony after this, perhaps, because it's awesome to see that vision and the persistence of team actually uh, be validated. And I, and I think that's a, that's to the credit of, of all involved. Well, you know, I said one other thing about that that's a, that I, that would maybe encourage people who think I'm too old and crazy and that this is a really contrarian idea is this, that it's the way to have the most fun. Because in order to do this, you have to surround you to, to feel, feel confident that you're going to build something like that. You have to surround yourself with people that are way smarter than you on all the little different parts of it. Because nobody can know all this stuff. So you get to build a team of people that are... Uh, the, the, the gauge I always use is I never wanted to be in a meeting where I wasn't at least the second or third smartest person about anything being discussed at that meeting. If I was the first smartest person, unless it was about management or, you know, how to fire somebody or something, I felt this, we, we were missing something here. I can't be the smartest person here. I don't, you know. And by doing that, you end up with this incredibly cool group of people. Because uh, if you can get smart people to stay with you for more than two years, they're there for a long time. If you give them good stuff to do and a good place to do it, a nice comfy home, you can, you know, I my people never left. I uh, wanted to ask you a little bit more about uh, mentoring. And you had a board that, that may have played mentoring roles to, to you, or maybe there wasn't, maybe it yeah. wasn't the board. Have you ever used a mentor and have you been a mentor to sort of other folks that are thinking about starting off yeah. and formally or informally, I would say. Um, yeah, right. well, small sir, M. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not formally. Um, yes, informally. Uh, and uh, to be honest, I don't think that I've ever had an opportunity to be all that helpful. I think I've been somewhat helpful in a couple of people that you know, we're doing startups, mostly through encouragement and to some degree through, you know, advice like, okay, you need a, you need a board member of this ilk or uh, you need to, you're, you're about to, to take a bunch of money from that person over here. Here's something that, um, that I've experienced that might be helpful in how you do that. Um, more than anything else, giving a couple of people confidence that they have what those people with the investing money want. And don't forget that. You've got some leverage here. They, they, they wouldn't be talking to you this far and you wouldn't have those documents in front of you if they didn't want it. So that line you don't like, scratch it out and write it the way you want it and send it back to them. You know, don't, don't get in, think out five years. Where are you going to be if that line stays in there and things are semi-successful, but you still need to raise more money, which is 90% of the time what happens, right? right. That one line. So I think I've been helpful maybe a couple of times, and I was for sure mentored about that uh, by people here. Uh, 
all three of those folks. Uh, and also, I just you know, I had some in, uh, uh, early business interactions with Rich Tarrant, too, which was um, a, an example to me of um, the kind of uh, entrepreneur that can come, grow up in Vermont and still have a, a damn good sense of humor about what they're doing, even though he's talking at billion-dollar scales, you know? Right, right. Well, I hope he's had a sense of humor because uh, he's coming in this afternoon. Is he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he was... Uh, <laughs> I could tell you a lot of funny stories about Rich. Well, we'll let him tell his yeah, own we'll, we'll funny stories. Yeah. How about how about that? <laughs> hey, um, any companies in Vermont right now that you see that you think have real breakout potential, both as a as a contributor to society, but but in terms of providing wealth and income and job opportunities? Uh, you want me to be specific on that? Yeah, if you yeah, want to. Sure. Um, well, you know, again, I'm a terrible person to ask because I'm really not clued in. I'm sort of intentionally taking some time off, and I've been, you know, I've sort of been out of the uh, the milieu here in Vermont. But I did run into a company that's uh, uh, being uh, one of the top people in it. Is was my CFO for many, many years, a guy named Kurt Liebgott. Uh and I that's called it's they're they're it's uh, dealerpolicy.com. So they're they're an extension of of the concept of dealer.com, which is basically, as I understand it, um, this moment you're buying your car, give that uh, car dealership the ability to sign you up for the best policy right then and there uh, by doing for a insurance you know, policy. Insurance yep. policy, yeah. Uh, and having it described to me by my friend Kurt, uh, it was both a it sounded like a brilliant idea one that had potential big legs, uh, also huge complexity. It was going to require the kind of engineering that I was just talking about because every state has different laws. Right. And so um, what you have to do to tee up that um, set of choices in New Jersey is entirely different than what you have to do to do that in Vermont. So there's a good, there's way more complexity under the hood than, it, than I'm sure they thought when they first had the idea, and they seem to be putting together a team of people to march through that. Um, I don't want to. I, I have some idea of who some of the investors are, et cetera, but it's 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 names you would know, um, and it's a it's a pro team. So it's probably a really good example of what can happen in Vermont. There's there are now people around with money and scars and experience and interest in investing. You I mean you know them way better than I do, David. So I you know that's the one that comes to my mind. Yeah, and it's really cool because you've had some of these um, signature companies. Um, you know, whether it's IDX or dealer.com or some of the IBM folks that you know, have the experience, uh, these startups or these emerging companies can go and hear the yeah. scars, the yeah. stories, the this to, yeah. to maybe get an unfair advantage as they as they set out right. and compete and try to change the world. And, you know, I will say that you mentioned twice, I think, just how uh, you were told what you were trying to do at PKC would never work. Doctors would never use this sort of thing. And we heard a similar story with Rob Foraker, who's a serial uh, fintech entrepreneur, talking about one of the biggest uh, CEOs of a, of a bank, telling him people will never online bank. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> you know take you know, that bet, right? <laughs> you know, there's one other thing I, I, I want to mention that people should know who are starting companies here is when you go out into the big world and start playing with the big guys – they always underestimate you if you came from Vermont. You got to use that. They always yes. think, well, you know, there are hicks, and I, it's not put that way any longer. But there's always this assumption. And 
Um, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, you can be here in Vermont and you can get the best business lawyer out of Boston and you can go and you can take on the best guys in New York and you can take them down and get a better deal than they ever wanted to give you. And you, but you, you got to be, um, you got to be willing to remember where the expertise is and find it. You we know, have that, we have that grit. Yeah, you got it, and you got to have nerve. And but you got to also admit sometimes, um, I'm going up against a guy with a gun. I want a gun, and I mean that. You know, there, when, when you start getting involved in taking big money uh, or trying to sell your company to another big company, um, you got to defend yourself. You're not going to do that with the same lawyer that helped you buy your first house, which is what they used to do in Vermont here. Your lawyer's a lawyer, you know. Um, you have to know, okay, I'm going to find who's the toughest guy around. You ask people like... Right, there's some specific and, expertise, yeah, right? That, and, 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 and Nordbrook, exactly. Very specific yeah. expertise, knowing the market, et cetera. It's the same if you're trying to, um, you know, pick an, uh, someone to help you sell an investment bank. Um, sometimes you can get the perfect investment banker here in Vermont. Uh, sometimes you have to go to Chicago, you know? Was it as tough selling the company as it was to build the company? No, it's way easier to sell it. Way easier to sell it? Yeah. I sold it twice. Was so. it more fun selling it? Um, no. No? No, yeah. it was fun. I mean, it was all fun. Um, it was all fun. Building it was the most satisfying for sure uh, because you felt like you were just bringing together all these smart people and being like a coach and, and, and ending up with something that was way more than the sum of the parts. Um, selling it was fun because you're taking that thing you built. Uh, you're proud that of. You had all these people built that you, you knew, you know, and that you've gotten smart about because you've interacted with all these people that really understand the bits and pieces that they've done in all of that. And you can go out and channel all the, that smartness, all those, all that brain power and all of that determination and, sell it. I mean, it's like selling anything else, you know? Right. You know, one of the challenges I think in Vermont, and one of the reasons VSET works with, with so many investors and teams is, um, you know, it's the velocity and changeover of capital and people around new ideas, new opportunities that it's, you know, pretty much once in a generation, once in a generation and a half, we have some big signature event, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters. Yeah. Uh, dealer, IDX, uh, there's been some other wonderful smaller ones, but ones that move the needle, they free up hundreds of millions in, in, in new capital, hundreds and hundreds of people to go off and do the next thing. And I, and I think that velocity uh, we're starting to in, see as an increase in our, in our ecosystem. And that, that gives people some pause. What's, you know, are they going to leave Vermont or stay? And, you know, how do I retrain as a, a, a 35-year-old or a 50-year-old, right? Um, I, I understand that, but I read something the other day that, that just struck with me. Of the S&P 500, the average age of these companies today is 15 years. Gosh. Okay, that yeah. goes by quick, right? <clears throat> yeah. A blink of an eye. So, you know, in terms of that, that's the world we're in today. So the, I think for, 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 for folks like you who, uh, who have been a serial entrepreneur and members of your team, the opportunity to see what's next is, is upon us. Yeah. It is, and I, but I got to keep reminding you that I'm, I'm not a serial entrepreneur, really. Yeah. Well, two very successful companies. So, however, you got the idea, you made it work. He stole it, apparently. Apparently. Yeah. yeah. Statue well, of limitation is. He was well quick up. to admit, though. Yeah. Well, I, I say that flippantly. <laughs> I just I want to make sure it, it was certainly not my idea. I would never come up with it. It was more my wife's idea than mine to even get involved with uh, the concept. Yeah, uh, and she was the 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 
the greatest realist on my team about how hard it would be to actually turn it into a business. The guy that had the idea, it was a brilliant one of those. Sometimes you come across something, you realize that is a brilliant idea. Well, it's, uh, it's a good reminder to keep your eyes and ears open. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right, Howard. Well, we always have one, one last question we like to ask uh, our visitors, um, and that is, drum roll, please. Magic wand time. <laughs> if you could change one thing about Vermont today, what would it be? Hmm. Boy, that's an interesting question. We, we do need a drum roll. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> um, we'll have to ask Ryan. Well, um, a lot of the things that I would have said in the past have been somewhat ameliorated. I mean, you mentioned JetBlue. I mean, having uh, good connections out of here um, are, is important. Uh I, I've been a from way back the the days of the when I was on the uh, uh, the board. Uh, I've, I've been concerned about connectivity and uh, the kind of um, bandwidth that is ubiquitous in Vermont. I'm still concerned about that. I think that's a, probably the biggest problem at some level. Um, you know, the other thing is this, the tenor of the times, I think it's going to switch. Right now, we are not uh, in, we're not in sync with the way the country's going in, in a lot of ways. And I think that's a good thing because I think the country's way the hell off the mark at the moment is going to start um, getting more real about um, uh, quality and uh, just groundedness in all aspects of life. So I sort of have this feeling that, again, solve the bandwidth problem, we need to do that, um, and a few other things like that, and just stay focused here uh, and slowly build the kind of backbone of companies that you're helping build here that become you know, part of Vermont's technology scene so that people see there are lots of other countries, companies to jump to, if, you know, et cetera. Just, just keep doing that. Uh, and wait for things to change. Don't go chasing where everybody sees the world going right now because the world is going off a cliff and it, it, you know, it will probably change. And, you know, I think Vermont has a lot that will appeal again. Right now, it's not where the action is, but that's okay. Stay focused. Stay focused. Yeah. And, and get better bandwidth. Awesome. Well, I think the the last med tech entrepreneur we had, uh, Ethan Bechtel with OMD, his his big magic wand was an In and Out Burger in Vermont, <laughs> <laughs> and it may have had something to do with the time of day. We well, no, I said a lot of things have been taken care of. Uh, the whole notion of that uh, food component—I mean, right now it's a big sale for Vermont. Everybody knows about the microbreweries here. Everybody knows about the you know farm to table movement. That's that's that's. We've got that. We are well fed yeah. here in Vermont. Yeah. yeah, we're very well fed. In fact, um, if I was, you know, thinking of another business to start, which I am not, I assure you, um, finding better ways to get our food out to the right places, out of the state. Um, you know, there's people that have made good progress on that, but that's a, a huge potential. I mean, we can 
greatly grow the sort of farming side of Vermont, I think. I think the local vor drone business could there be you the go. one. There you go. Could be the one. Exactly. Let's, uh, let's get some interns on right. that, Sam. All right. right. And just to, just to be sure you covered the Second Amendment part of it, you, the drones that you are allowed to actually shoot out of the sky, so you're somewhat shooting your own food. Right. Um, so as that thing with your, with your <laughs> grass-fed beef is hovering over your house <laughs> in New Jersey, you can pull out your 20-gauge, bring it down. Well, I think that is a fitting conclusion to our time here with with Howard Pierce. And thank you so much for for making time with our our humble little start here. I love your podcast. I love the place. Thanks, Howard. Thanks very much. This has been Start Here with Sam and Dave, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and even the accidental entrepreneur. Series made possible by the Vermont Technology Council and Fairpoint Communications. Follow us on Twitter at VSET, that's V C E T. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to work.